regulated and relational, the bi-monthly podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. In today's episode, Julie and Ginger are joined by Dr. Susan Hopkins of the Merit Center in Ontario, Canada. She and Dr. Stuart Shanker will be keynoting at our upcoming Creating Trauma-Sensitive Schools Conference. Let's listen in to learn more about their self-reg framework. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Regulated and Relational, our podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. I'm Julie Beam. And I'm Ginger Healy. And as always, we're excited to talk with you about all things trauma-informed. Today in our studio, we have Dr. Susan Hopkins with us from Canada. She is going to talk to us about self-reg, what it is, what we need to know about it, and also about what she and Dr. Stuart Shanker are going to talk to us about as a keynote for our upcoming 2024 Trauma Sensitive Schools Conference. Ginger, can you tell us a little bit more, introduce us to Susan? Absolutely. I am so excited to talk to you today, Susan. So welcome to our studio here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So happy to have you. Before I give everyone your bio, I actually want to also mention Dr. Shanker, who's not in the studio with us, but he is a big part of this self-reg, of course, as the founder that we're going to talk about. And he will also be keynoting with you at our conference. So let me just tell you a little bit about Dr. Shanker. He's a distinguished research professor emeritus of psychology and philosophy at York University and the creator of the Merit Center and the Self-Regulation Institute. He's a former president of the Council of Early Child Development. His expertise has been sought internationally, and he has been an advisor on child development and self-regulation to school boards and government organizations across Canada and the United States. And Susan, Dr. Susan Hopkins, is the executive director of this self-reg organization that Dr. Stuart Shanker has created. Susan has been a teacher, school administrator, inclusive schooling coordinator, curriculum developer, educational researcher, and educational leader. She has worked in every area of education from the early years to post-secondary and from remote northern schools to the Department of Education. She has worked across contexts that include Italy and Northwest Territories. And also, importantly, you are a mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that, I think, is always an important piece of, like, hard-earned education (laughs) that really contributes to your work. And we were talking about that prior to pushing the record button, but we are honored to have you here. And I think that a good place to start is for you to kind of introduce everybody to self-reg, to really break it down and explain the process and what you all do at the Merit Center. Well, thank you for the warm welcome. And, you know, I really have to say that Stuart Shanker is the amazing Stuart Shanker, which your listeners who do not know him yet, you were in for a treat when you come to the conference. He's not just the reason I do this work. He's the reason many people do this work. I moved across Canada (laughs) just to come here and run his organization a bit. It's actually our 12th birthday today, by the way. Today. Yeah, 12 (laughs) years that we've been incorporated. And I'm at the start of my ninth year running it. When I first met Stuart, I was in the Northwest Territories of Canada. 
so up near Alaska. I was early childhood and kindergarten coordinator for a while at the ministry, but then I was also the director of research planning and valuation for the whole ministry. And that's how I met Stuart. You know, I was doing work. It included self-regulation and stumbled across him and sent an email and kind of the rest is history. He changes lives. And I just have to say that. So self-reg, it's his life work. You know, he's supposedly retired now. (laughs) It's working and researching and writing every single day. Like it's constantly evolving. It's grounded in the psychophysiology. So really understanding the brain body science of stress. So we'll talk a little bit about stress. So it's anchored in understanding the brain body science of stress, Mm -hmm. but it is completely tied to mental health, well-being, children's learning, or how we parent, what we do in schools, how we, you know, deal with children that are struggling. It is both a method. So it has five steps. I'll tell you those in a moment. And I really like to think of it as a framework. That's how I used it as an educator. And as a parent, trust me, it has changed my parenting. But I look at it as a framework. So there's a lot of understandings within which that you can work. So the method, it has five steps or five practices. The first one is we reframe behavior. So, you know, when my child or my toddler, let's say, throws a rock at their sibling, right? How could I reframe that behavior Or I'm a teacher in grade four and, you know, one child in my classroom is getting in fights absolutely every single day. And maybe I do know there's a trauma history or maybe I do think that there's more going on, but nothing I'm trying is working. Or I am a parent of a teenager like I am right now or a high school teacher, for example. And I've got, you know, all kinds of things. I've got shutdown behaviors. I've got students storming out, you know, saying that they can't do it, not motivated, there is no limit to where you can think about how to apply self-reg. It applies to every context Mm -hmm. and every age. And so it's all about reframing behavior. And by that, we mean, okay, how do I understand that? How do I look at that as being more than misbehavior? Bad kid, you know, you should go and do your time out. You know, here's my sticker chart on the wall or your name on the board and all of these old way outdated practices whose day is long gone, um, Mm -hmm. but we fall into, right? And even those of us that have moved away from those, we can still slip back into, you know, some version of bringing out our finger and, you know, all these things. Do this or else, right? That happens to me even still. Like I catch myself, we call it slipping into self-controlism, right? Do you know? So it's reframing, but there's a lot to reframing in a way that sounds simple and it gets easier. The more science you learn, there's a lot of science in this. So I'm really the right hand of Stuart who tries to take his science and figuring out what it means for everyday life and through stories Mm -hmm. and application. Reframing is really the anchor. So because until we can see that that child in front of us, like I love Ross Green's, I'm a big fan of actually all your speakers that I've seen so far. And, you know, I love Ross Green saying that, you know, kids do well when they can and they're not trying to give you a hard time. They're having a hard time. These are reframes. That's a game changer. So to me, it matters because it involves compassion and soft eyes, which is a language an elder from the Northwest Territories gave me. And there's science behind that. Like, you know, this soft eyes is this way of seeing differently, but it doesn't necessarily. And in the case of trauma, it's really important. It doesn't mean I have all the answers that I know Stuart's saying is why and why now that Mm -hmm. I know why and why now, but I've got to believe there's a a why and why now, and it's going on in the brain and body. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's more going on. I like to think about the Fitbit of the future, this, you know, the smartwatch that there's this cascade, you know, you've got this kid in front of you who's doing whatever. We're saying, yeah, we're sure he knew Mm -hmm. or they knew or she knew, you know, usually 
with reframing, we find it easy with certain children. Sometimes a disability is visible or we know a story. Mm -hmm. And others, the toughest ones, right, can be really cold. They seem like they don't care. So we're like instantly sure they are doing it on purpose. No, they're the ones that need us the most. But we got to start with being able to accept there's more to understand. And when we understand a little more, it kind of changes everything. So reframing behavior is the first. The other four I'll go quicker on because, uh, you know, that's a real anchor. But number two is we recognize stressors. It's obvious stressors, but, you know, the science of stress is really cool and hopeful because we can tend to get caught up in thinking, oh, I'm stressed because I've got a bill to pay or whatever. I've got, you know, childcare to pick up or I'm having, you know, problems in my relationship or I'm worried about money or any of these sorts of things. They're stressors. Or we're thinking that someone like me is saying bubble wrap children. No, (laughs) stress is actually, you couldn't get rid of it if you wanted to, when you understand the science of it, but we're looking for hidden stressors and the stressors that, you know, are adding that we've never even thought about. Stuart uses the example of like a backpack, a stress backpack. And, you know, if you imagine your backpack is really heavy. Now we know some children have way heavier backpacks. Racism is a stressor. Even when you're not experiencing it directly, if you're somebody who a racialized person that's gone through life and you're on guard waiting for someone, that's a process that's causing a cascade within you that's gobbling up some of that energy. I'm not a neuroscientist, so I use really simple ideas trying to take the science and apply it. So it's glucose, it's other things, but the backpacks are heavier. We think that child who's like thriving, and I wish many of them on all of you (laughs) is the one working harder when it's the very opposite. Mm-hmm. Some children's backpacks are so heavy, they're just getting through the day. Mm-hmm. So that's what the idea of looking at stressors, because if you can recognize a few, and we look in five domains, maybe we can lighten a few. Like, we're not going to mm. take out of the backpack that you got to go to school, you got to go to school, right? right? What are the ones that we could take out of the backpack? In a classroom, a simple example is sometimes people, when I work in schools, they'll tell me, You know, I was working with a group last week and they were kindergarten educators mostly. And they're like, we have so many problems every time we try to line up. I dig a little deeper and it's like, how many times a day do you line up? What is your process? And it's everybody has to line up and scan. These are great educators. They care, but they're making them line up. You know, I'm exaggerating, but 14 times a day and everybody has to be in the line. And that line is excruciating for some children. Uh, and it's yeah. not just other kids. That was me too, right? I, you know, I have a hard time sitting still. <laughs> so it's like, okay, this is a simple way to reduce the stressor. Less lineups. Yes. Sometimes yeah. you need them to line up, but maybe you don't as much. So you, we're trying to look at stressors and then we reduce the ones we can to lighten the stress load. Okay. So we're trying to take things out of that backpack because it's right. never just one thing. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to focus on what we can do, what we yes. can do. So we look at stressors in the physical domain or the biological domain if you want to think about you know in your own life like anybody have allergies during allergy season you're not yourself why your body is actually burning up a ton of energy trying to deal with that chronic headaches or pain uh, you know getting sick in any kind of way or examples but so are certain sensory like the sensory mm-hmm. and sensitivities are huge yeah. bright lights for me are a big one that I find it really hard with but there are some sound and that's not to say you know classrooms should be quiet but we need to recognize the sounds are a huge stressor for some right. children some of the time so we look at the biological domain then we look at emotion domain and so that's not social emotional learning that's another field and it's important, but that's not our work. Mm-hmm. We look at 
the energy gobble of strong emotions. Okay, so I'm so excited for tomorrow. You know, it burns up a whole lot of energy, right? But we often think of it as so-called negative. I mean, emotions all have a purpose, right? Anger and these sorts of things are, are other examples of strong emotions. I love that. I love that point you just made. So I want to make sure that the listeners are really thinking about that, is that it's an energy gobble of emotions, and it can be a positive energy that gobbles it or a negative one of anger or frustration that would gobble it. That's profound because yeah. we often don't recognize that. And then kids will bottom out after something really exciting and fun and that they've been anticipating. And we, especially as parents, we're standing there with a question mark over our head going, what just happened? Like we're filming this just before Halloween. We all know what happens, right? Oh now. my gosh. <laughs> and you know, we'll blame the it teachers on the- are already hiding under their desks at this yeah. point. Right? <laughs> and we can blame it on the candy. Like it's an interesting one when you look up sugar because everybody thinks sugar makes you hyper. But if you ask a whole audience, you'll have half the people say it doesn't, half doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying pro sugar. I actually really watch it carefully myself. But when you study it through the lens of stress, sugar is a stressor and your body has to get that out. It has all these processes that have to go out from the excessive sugar, but so is the excitement. Yes. Right. It's all of these things. Like I'm sure we've all got a birthday party story. We could tell. Yes. (laughs) Or a Disneyland story or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really interesting just for those out there that are educators, but even if you do training or speaking of any kind, what you just did, I would call that a self-reg strategy, whether you did it intentionally or not. I think it was. I think that you got in and made a comment and got it interactive. I'm getting off on a tangent, right? You know, I get excited and everything. But you're commenting and making it a personal connection. You're actually affecting the energy. Okay, yeah. So some people that are listening, that was a welcome break. See how you can mm. begin to think about everything as stress and what we can do with it. So, yeah. Well, and I like that you're saying... It's not that all stress is bad. It's just that there are levels and determinants and that we can manage and modify it, right? Absolutely. And there used to be like a big movement. Stuart was part of it where they would do these major stress inventories. Like on the TMC website, we had some tools with lists of stressors. But there are so many stressors, you Mm. know, and our body can be producing some of its own, right? It's not about every single stressor, but it's about beginning to think, hmm, you know, what might be contributing to this? And when we really become, you know, watchers and observers and really curious observers, we begin to notice some patterns. What am I noticing about my child or my student or my staff? If you're Mm -hmm. somebody working with teams, you know, what are the things that make a difference? It's not about turning every place into like a Zen studio, a yoga studio or whatever, it definitely has some of those elements of our environments matter and calming areas like genuine. This isn't like, oh, go to the calming corner, (laughs) but areas where people could squirrel away, whatever, you know, this sorts of thing. They're a good thing, but many children, and often it's the children that really have the drive, the biological need to move more. Mm -hmm. These are the ones that get to move less, right? And they might need more, you know, some brighter lights a brighter corner something more active yeah. and that's helping them with their regulations so yeah. individualized right exactly if we were to ask you and I we would have lots of things in common and we would have stressors that are different and one's not better than the other it's kind of like you know knowing what works for you I guess yeah. um, so you're looking at the different domains and then you're reducing where you can and then tell me 
because I want to go back to what you yeah, were talking about. Yeah, we want to make about. sure we're, yeah, we get back I on just, track. I'm we... at the edge of my seat here taking notes like crazy. <laughs> so where do we go from there? Well, I'll just touch quickly on the other three domains. So I told you bio and emotion, but there's also cognitive. Just think about what happens to your brain at tax time. Mm-hmm. Are, you know, some children with multi-step directions, for example, is something many of us understand. We need to accommodate around, but we've got to be careful not to tie that to intelligence. That has nothing to do with right. intelligence. That could be an auditory processing, whatever. There could be lots of reasons for it. It's why visuals are big fans of visuals in a lot of cases. So thinking cognitive is a really, you know, this isn't work just about the emotion and about social. It's also about math, you know, high math anxiety. What's going on in high math anxiety? You know, Stuart's terrific on this, but looking at, you know, they triggers the brain like a fear response. Well, what do we do? We work to lower the stressors, right? And time of day, how we approach it, relationship. I mean, it really kind of all comes back to relationships in the end. Then there's a social domain. So think about, you know, some children have a hard time, not a sense of belonging or getting the joke or partner work are some examples being very thrown off by physical proximity. And, you, you know, I'm somebody that fills up by space and being alone. Some of you out there, you know, love to have as many people around you as possible. I still really need people in my life. It's a real anchor for me, but I know that about myself. And so many of the children that are really struggling, you know, they'll do things to push people away. They're protecting themselves, right? Putting up the walls mm-hmm. or, you know, you're in school all day long. That's a lot of peopling, as my daughter would say. I'm peopled out, you know? So, mm-hmm. so social domain yeah. is a really important one. And the pro-social one is very unique. Sort of almost called it the spiritual domain, but the publisher of his first book was Self Reagan, it was which was Calm Alert and Learning in 2012, I think. They've said no to spiritual, but there's an element of that. And what it is mm-hmm. is it's, it's about empathy, but it's not teaching empathy. It's recognizing that empathy is a very expensive emotion. And, you know, we can take on the stress of others. We've all been in a situation where gossip flies around. Or, you know, you can think about political stuff when there's this wave, right? Or anxiety about something. Or Mm -hmm. equally joy. You've been around young children in a space where they're singing. (laughs) And watch how infection that is. Or somebody that's a really funny storyteller. So this sort of contagion effect But it can also apply to injustice. So if we're really upset about things in the world, then there's lots to be upset about. Or we're really upset about how things are managed in our context. You know, I'm mentioning schools, but it could be early years or the counseling center or whatever, any kind of context. And we feel there's an injustice and we advocate, which is a good thing if we're advocating, you know, for the things we want to advocate for. It's also very energy expensive. Yes, it is. Right. You know, so we look at those five domains. We reduce the stressors that we can. <laughs> and then there's two more. Do you want me to keep going? Or? Yeah, sure. please. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the last two are really important. The first three, you know, they come in an order, but really they're iterative. You need all five and you're working on all five at the same time. But I really think of the first ones are seem more tied to what we might do in an IEP, you know, a program of some kind or some wraparound planning behavior planning so we're trying to you know plan even though it's not a program you know we can use it to really kind of go through some systematic pieces the the last two really get us back to even more of the being side of things so number four is it's called reflect so we call them the five hours um it's called reflect but Stuart has recently had a new, new acronym called clear calmness listening 
embodied awareness, and then reflection. So it totally ties to interoception, you know, and there's great Mm -hmm. work out there on interoception. It's about becoming aware of our own stress states because we're part of it always and helping others with that. And it's a stress awareness. So it's not interchangeable with mindfulness. Some people have a mindfulness or meditation practice, but others it's completely opposite, you know, that they have their own ways that, you know, that kind of thing might make you feel like you're going to jump out of your skin. <laughs> right. Okay. Individual differences again, That's right? right. So one really important one as a noticing, I mean, it's awareness is the big word for me. I like to use the example of a sneeze. So we all know what it feels like to have a sneeze coming on and mm. the outside world doesn't know, right? You feel it internally, you know, it's coming on and, you know, maybe the you get up and go or you, you know, go and find a tissue or whatever. It's that sort of sense of noticing a stress state coming on. And look, it doesn't always happen. You can know all this science and you still go red brain. My 15 year old daughter will tell you I've had a few moments. <laughs> That's just we all can. We um, all can share yeah. those moments. So you're not alone. You know, right? You're human and you get better and better at it. It happens less and less. You recover quicker, which is a really mm-hmm. important one because instantly you realize what happened you know, worry, for example, worry and anger, like when we're Mm -hmm. really worried about a teenager not coming home on time, and you've got your mind overthinking, which is like, again, this happened to me this week. And then the very first thing when you see your child, and you know that they're okay, and you're angry. (laughs) There's a reason. Relief and anger come at the same time. (laughs) This is why I moved across the country to do this work with Stuart, Mm -hmm. because it was a game changer. I did it for students. Then it changed how I was as a mother, (laughs) right? And one of the biggest ah ahas along the way, as I now look at my wild teenage years, I knew I had overcome them. So maybe I felt that, Mm -hmm. but there are so many things I'm not proud at all about. And now I understand them. Keeping my head above water and yay on me and anybody else who's been surviving out there, right? Really relevant. I love that. Giving yourself that grace. I think that is healing self-work, you know, to understand what you did, why you did all of that. That is a gift that we would love to give everyone in the world, you know? And it's not just philosophy. That's what I love. (laughs) I hear that self-compassion. So that's what frees you up to have more empathy and compassion for other people, right? We have to get to that point where we can. It's when people start learning, they're always asking for the strategies and there are, but you try all these different strategies and, you know, if without having that reframing and Mm -hmm. that mindset, I'm so cautious on strategies. I have that saying that you are the strategy, (laughs) right? You start asking different questions as you go on. And what's really wonderful about learning the science, and I personally think, and I'm a big fan of a lot of people speaking at your event, a lot of good work out there. And Mm -hmm. I love your new book, Ginger. And you know what I mean? There's just so many, so many amazing people working in these circles. And self-reg as a framework can apply globally and include all these others, you know, and I'm working with a leader that is trying to deal with the unhoused population, right? You know, another group of social workers that are trying to help. They're not all unhoused families, but almost, right? And young mothers that are, you know, trying to get it together and dealing with addictions and things like that. And then, like I said, lots in the earlier school, we're working with universities because they're worried about the grads that are coming in. They've gotten the smallest little thing. They're shut down and see that differently. So that's what I love about the framework is not a program and it's not just a list of strategies. There's a deeper things. 
So the fifth one is just the last one I'll mention, and it's restoration. And we've talked about restoration. Restore has always been the fifth step. It has been misunderstood even by me to a certain extent in the earliest years of doing self-reg with Stuart to be, again, a list of strategies, right? I need to go and, you know, go for a walk in the woods or garden or, Mm -hmm. you know, deep breathing or go for a run or whatever these sorts of things are or stare at the sky and all these sorts of things. So he's really talking about, again, at the brain body level. I mean, it involves a parasympathetic system, but getting that balance back in place. Yeah. Alan Vogel is terrific on this. Stuart has worked with him and wrote an intro in the beginning of his book, but genuine restoration. So not mediated restoration in the sense of Okay, me deciding to go and do uh, yoga or meditation, which again, are both important, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and we all have our strategies, but that's me saying, okay, I need to, you know, right. yourself to do that. Yeah. These are those little moments, that little moment of, I like awe. It's one that's, mm-hmm. you know, just like looking mm-hmm. at a, something in nature and just like being in absolute awe of a bumblebee, you know? And so it's some of that, but it's relationship. It's the things, and we're so individualized. Yes. You know, what restores each of us in all five of those domains is unique. Is mm-hmm. absolutely unique. So those are the five steps and the five domains. It's <laughs> beautiful. And it's making me wonder and think about, because we work so much with individuals impacted by trauma and the caregivers who are caring for children impacted by trauma, how much this would help them. There's got to be such an intersection here, right? A crossover for all of these domains and guidelines. Well, we often hear, you know, whenever we speak to parenting or parents or parent groups or mm-hmm. like we'll hear people welcome our self-reg to learn this. And the reason they do is in many cases, I mean, I've been part of a whole bunch of different parenting conferences, for example, and one comes to mind immediately. It was local here where I am in Ontario. It was trying to get kids off screens and out into nature. Mm, so they right. had these two things. It was screen time and it was out into nature. And they had these amazing speakers and inspirational speakers, but, you know, scientists. But it was really interesting. I was watching. So I was sitting in the audience watching a couple of speakers before me. And you could see the parents going like this, right? Because the, one of the speakers was saying, you know, he was up there and he's an expert. And he's saying, my children don't have screens. You know, and we go for family walks and it's just like, you know, that's what we do every day. And they're not getting a cell phone until they're 15. And, you know, the parents are in the audience. There's issues. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There are issues. And if there's something to be really concerned about, the technology is a huge one. But just telling our parents, giving a, you know, a list, yeah. no screen time, like they come out against right. screen time. Like ideally they would like to say no screen time before five years old, but I believe They've settled on two years old because what happens is you completely overwhelm people with Mm -hmm. your good advice about all the things they should do. It's like, I know they should eat all these good foods. I know that we should have these practices. I know I should read, you know, read every night before bed. And I know that, you know, meals together and all these things, they're getting bombarded with advice everywhere. So that's the first thing. And that can be overwhelming. But B, some of those things are just helping people cope. And the thing about self-reg is that there's no judgment or finger pointing. And what you're doing is trying to understand from a bit of science, but we use a lot of humor and, you know, fun and having people notice that what happens in their body 
sometimes I'll do little games, like somebody has to do a mirror game and they notice, oh, I just felt, you know, my breathing changed. I got nervous. I went red in the face or whatever. And it's like, oh, we have brain bodies too. Oh, Mm -hmm. we're human too. Oh, it's not about another list of strategies or the perfect thing to do. So it begins to get a little bit of permission. But also the other thing I find is parents who've had a really hard time dealing with schools. It's really hard when you know the strengths of your child or you've got your child coming home telling you stories that you're suddenly worried about the safety of your child. There's amazing educators out there. You know, I'm a big proponent of public education and I'm a big believer, but we got a long way to go. And there's a lot of stuff that's not okay out there. And mm-hmm. a lot of stressors that happen at school. <laughs> right? I, like I think if we could just get on the same page with some common language and some common understandings, mm-hmm. it might move some of those things forward. You know, but the thing about parenting is this is us too, right? It is absolutely us too. And when we suddenly realize, okay, I just yelled at my child. Yelling is a sign that you're overstressed. It's not good parenting, good teaching. It's not being a good boss. It's not being, you know. Yes. It happened. It's it's coming out of a platform of tension, right? And it just bursts out of you. And when you can look at that with that soft eyes for yourself as well, you're like, okay, Mm. what do I need right now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, what would make a difference for me in this kind of moment? You said that so well. We talk about that a lot on this podcast, the concept of good enough parenting and that you don't have to be anywhere near perfect. You just have to be attentive as to what you're doing, you know, and do things with intention when you can. But sometimes our stressors are such that we can't. I mean, we're going to flip yeah. our lids like everybody else. Reflect on it afterwards. Yes. Like that's the thing. What went wrong? Oh, you know, yeah. and- I'll often use the example of, you know, us having brain and bodies that you have all the patience for all the people. So parents get all the patience all day long. You put mm-hmm. up with all kinds of stuff and then you come home and you're snapping with your own kids or your partner, or, you know, somebody phones you, your mother-in-law, and you don't want to talk. Why? Because you're not that same human. No, right. you have yeah. a finite battery to do, right? We're finite. The thing about that fifth step of self-reg, that restore is it's a societal issue. And it is the marketing, you know, we are being marketed (laughs) to, and they're using some of this same science to get more views of this and that, to get more buy. All of those maladaptive modes of self-regulation we might do, whether you're buying online late at night or whatever, you know, you're going to your junk food, right? You have all this willpower. We think it's all about willpower. And then it goes out the window where to go. Mm Self-regulation, trying to solve a self-control problem. And it's not right. So That restore is like, we are go, 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 go as a society. I talked to you about a course earlier and I said, oh, would you like to come in? And you're like, I do, but I've got no space left. No space left. Yes, that's more of that. Yeah. I think today's society is more so than ever before. We have so much information in front of us and so many opportunities in front of us that it is hard to filter down and prioritize because there are many things that you want to do. There are many things that can distract you from the things that you want to do. And yeah, it's hard to get to that restoration. And yet, if you don't, you're pouring from right. the cup, right? That's... Some values work for all of us. It's like, whoa, mm-hmm. where has mm-hmm. our attention been hijacked? I could boil it down to the things that matter most. And how do I start with those? Yes. And it's not easy when you're running on empty. I get it. (laughs) Right. Susan, we could talk to you for another hour or so, but that's, (laughs) or maybe all day. I don't know. Yeah. um, That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Ginger signing up for the all day course, Um, but (laughs) 
it's always too fast on the podcast. So we're very much looking forward to you and Stuart kicking off the virtual portion of our conference. You'll actually be on Thursday, the 22nd of February. That's so exciting for us to get to witness that, ask questions from you. You know, we're beside ourselves to learn more about that. And we definitely want folks to be able to find self-reg. So in the show notes of this podcast, we'll put all the links and all of those things. Is there anything else you want to say to our audience about self-reg or about what you all are going to talk about at the conference? I think the only thing I would add beyond uh, saying thank you to both of you for your organization and the amazing work that you do. And we're proud to be friends and partners. And, you know, I think that it's important what you do. And this conference is a real important conference. I've never had the privilege of coming, but I've watched it from afar for several years now. I hear over and over again of how moved people are, how changed and how special it is to come around with like-hearted others. You know, Um, so the one thing I will say is that Stuart Shanker, we are a bit of a tag team, I guess, in a kind of way. This is all about him and his work, and he will bring science. He synthesizes it in a way that he just has this way. It's like he's sitting in front of you and you're having this conversation and he's talking to just you and he takes you through the sciences, but also figuring out what it can mean for you. And he always brings the cutting edge bits and pieces of the things that he's working on. So I sometimes sit on the edge of my chair waiting to see where he'll go next, but he's very deeply ingrained. Like we'll do some of the basics for sure. A little bit of it will be infused in there, but he's really thinking about the well-being of children and youth Mm. and the caregivers everywhere. We're looking at resilience. He's working deeply in the area of bullying and how do Mm. we begin to reframe what's going on there and looking at the subcortical regions of the brain and the seven primitive emotion circuits that are in the brain and what that has to do with the behaviors we have in front of us. So when we see, you know, a complete shutdown or explosive behaviors or our child suddenly seems like a different child in front of us, you know, we're dealing with a whole group of children, maybe we're in a school or another kind of context. And so how to begin to see those, some of those behaviors differently. His draw towards the spring is also looking at um, moral development. What does that actually mean? And how do we begin to think about raising good humans? And trust me, it's not coming at you with more thou shalts. My end of things is bringing some strategies, some stories, bringing it to life. We think you're perfect partners in crime, you know, and we are so honored to have you both. We need you both. The world needs you both. And so we are just lucky and excited and cannot wait for February. So this is the time to register if you haven't gotten registered yet. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. So listeners do take a look at our conference and at the work that Susan and Stuart and their folks are doing through the Merit Center. There'll be links in the show notes. Yet We can't say enough about their wonderful, wonderful self-reg work. So thanks for being here, Susan. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Where did that hour go? (laughs) I know it was fast, wasn't it? Always is. Okay, folks, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening in. This has been another episode of Regulated and Relational. Next time, Jen Alexander and Jennifer Dickey will be Julie and Ginger's guests. And the topic will be trauma's impact on executive functioning. A special thank you to Joe Kramer for donating our music. For more information about the Attachment and Trauma Network, visit our website at www.attachedtrauma.org. Show notes and upcoming episodes will be available on our website and through anchor.fm. 
I'm Lorraine Schneider. Thanks for listening.